Well, like I said a few minutes ago, or at least I hope I did, I'm recording this a day ahead, so I plan to tell you at the beginning of the service, uh, this is a topic that uh, probably next to stewardship is one of the ones that is hardest for a churchgoer, a church member to get excited about. And so that's kind of why tongue-in-cheek I titled this message, Get All Excited. Because when you think of evangelism, when you think of sharing the gospel with somebody, is this something that really excites you? Is it something that you look forward to doing, or is it something that you're very nervous about doing? I think there's a reason why we're hesitant to talk about evangelism. And part of it has to do with what do you think of when you hear the word evangelism. So let me just ask you that question. What do you think of when you hear the word evangelism? Some people think of going up and knocking on somebody's door, talking to somebody that you've never seen before in your life, and trying to share a plan of salvation that will change them for all of eternity, and you don't even know the person, and they don't know you. Some people think it's bashing somebody on the head with your Bible, trying to convince them that they're wrong and that you are right, and that you have all the answers to all their problems, and they've been wrong all their life about everything. And I guess for some of us, when we think of evangelism, we think of the guy standing on the street corner, you know, holding up the sign that says repent or perish or, or, or God is angry with the wicked or something like that, trying to convince people that they're not a wacko and <laughs> they really have something worth sharing. So I think part of the reason why we're hesitant to talk about this is because we just have a misconception of what biblical evangelism is. I think the other reason the biggest reason probably that we don't like to, to hear about or talk about evangelism is one word, and that word is fear. We are afraid of what our responsibility is in evangelism. So I hope if that's your situation today, that I will be able to share a few things with you that will give you a great sense of hope and peace. Number one, I hope you understand that our misconceptions are just that. Biblical evangelism does not mean grabbing some stranger by the collar trying to talk to them about the gospel. It doesn't mean trying to argue someone into believing that they're wrong and you're right. It doesn't mean knowing tons and tons of scripture verses that you can spout out to them as if you are more righteous and holy than they are. It doesn't mean trying to shame them or guilt trip them or make them feel horrible. And probably the best way for me to get started is to share one truth that I want you to take home with you. Because you know what? The biggest way to alleviate fear, the biggest way to alleviate misconceptions about evangelism is by understanding one important truth. And that truth is this. Listen very carefully because this is what I want you to go home with in a few minutes. That is that a person's salvation is not your responsibility. Now let me say that again. A person's salvation is not your responsibility. We have been caught in this idea that if we mess up, if we don't do this exactly right, then our blood will be on that person's hands. And I'm here to tell you that biblical evangelism teaches us that a person's salvation is not your responsibility. It's God's responsibility. So with that in mind, I want us to get started. I'm going to ask four big questions today, okay? Four questions. What is biblical evangelism? Who should evangelize? Why should we evangelize? And how should we evangelize? Okay? Those four questions we're going to talk about. What, who, why, and how. So let's get started with the what question. What 
is evangelism? Probably the best way for me to answer that question is by taking some time to talk about what it is not. Number one, evangelism, biblical evangelism, is not imposing your beliefs on someone else. Haven't you ever heard somebody say that? Well, I just don't think it's right for us to impose what we believe on other people. They should have the right to decide for themselves. Well, of course they have the right to decide for themselves. But we are not imposing anything on anybody. We're not trying to push something off on someone. You remember in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul said these words. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 to 7. He said, what then is Apollos? And what is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed, and each has the role the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. You see, what Paul is saying there is that we're not trying to impose something on someone else. We know the truth. We've come to believe it in our lives and see the truth through the way God acts in our lives. We want to share that information with other people. We want them to understand it's not our opinion, it's God's Word, and we'll talk about that in just a couple of minutes, but then it's up to them to decide how they're going to respond to it. As someone said to me the other day, my job is not to make the person eat the pizza, my job is just to deliver the pizza and make sure that it's hot and ready. What they do with it, that's their business. We're not imposing anything on anyone. Secondly, biblical evangelism is not apologetics. In other words, it's not arguing with someone questions about the truth of the Bible or about creation or about Noah and the ark or any of those kind of things. That is not evangelism. Sometimes people will try to draw us into those kinds of things, but that is not what true biblical evangelism is. So you do not have to be an expert in apologetics to be able to share the gospel. Thirdly, and this is something that's important for us to understand. There's nothing wrong with sharing your testimony with somebody, telling what God has done in your life, talking about your prayer life. But evangelism is not just sharing your testimony. If you share your testimony with a coworker or a friend or a family member, that's great. But that is not biblical evangelism. Also, biblical evangelism is not social action or political involvement. We so often want to get involved in doing all kinds of things for the good of the community, the, the good of our nation, uh, for gain in certain ways. But the minute we get our focus on people and their lives, instead of focusing on Christ and what He has done for us, we've stopped evangelizing. Okay? We've stopped sharing the good news and we've just tried to do good deeds. Nothing wrong with doing good deeds, but that is not biblical evangelism. And then fifth, and this is what I'm going to have to explain to you, so give me just a minute to explain. Biblical evangelism is not the results of evangelism. Okay, now that's, that, when I first tried to get this into words, I couldn't figure out how to make it clear. So let me explain to you what I mean by that. Oftentimes, we measure whether we have been a good evangelist, a good soul winner, a good witness or not, on how the person responds to what we say. And this is getting back to the main thing I want us to, to make sure we remember today. But the reality is evangelism is not measured, or the success of one's evangelism is not measured by the immediate result that occurs from us sharing the good news with the person. And you say, well, okay, I get that. But do you realize how often we do that? Pastor, I have been sharing for 20 years with my father, and he still hasn't come to us. What am I doing wrong? Guess what the answer to that question is? Absolutely nothing. You have been obedient to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Remember what we said? 
A person's salvation is what? Not your responsibility. It's God's responsibility. Our job is just to share the gospel. So please, 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 and you're going to hear me say this probably hundreds of times over the next few years, that evangelism, witnessing, is not the same thing and not measured by the results that come from it. Let me share with you a verse from 2 Corinthians. You remember Paul is talking about the sharing that he had been doing and the sharing that he wanted the Corinthians to do in Corinth. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, he says this, For to God we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To some we are an aroma of death leading to death, but to others an aroma of life leading to life. Now what does he mean by that? What he means is we share the good news of Jesus Christ. To those who are being saved, it is life. But to those who are not being saved, it is death. But guess what? It's the same message. So you see, when we share the gospel, when we share what we know of the good news of Jesus Christ, then out of that, some people come to life, some people go to death. But the gospel is always the same. So in essence, if I want to summarize what evangelism is not, it is not converting people. It is telling them the wonderful truth about God, the great news about Jesus Christ. Please remember that evangelism is not converting people. I can't convert anybody. Only God can do the converting. And a few months ago, if you remember, I did a whole sermon on what is conversion. And we all agreed that conversion is God's work, not ours. Our job is just to deliver the pizza. Our job is just to share the truth from God's Word as we have experienced it in our lives and make sure they understand it. And then what they do with it is between them and God. Well, that then brings me to the second question. And that is, who? Who should evangelize? This is one thing I think that some of us maybe get confused about. And if so, I want to clarify it. I don't think many of us have this, this issue, but some of us might. And that is that you need to understand that evangelism is not just for those who are professionally trained. Pastors, deacons, elders, other kind of people like that. Or just for those who have the spiritual gift of evangelism. Believe me, there are some people out there that have a unique way of being able to share more freely with others than most of us do. But evangelism is not just for people who have special training or special gifting. Evangelism is for all of Jesus' disciples. And guess what? That includes you. Evangelism is for everyone. You knew I was going to eventually get to this passage. We always do when we talk about sharing the gospel. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. And I know the print's a little bit small, but you know the verses. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. This is what it says. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is something that Jesus said to his disciples that were listening to him and to us who are reading. You say, well, how do you know that, Pastor? Because of what he said at the very end of the line. He says, I will be with you always to the end of the age. He wouldn't have had to say that if it was only for the people who were listening to him on that day. 
This is a message for you and me. And guess what? The early church understood that because when you get into the book of Acts, just for example, in Acts chapter 8, this is right after the stoning of Stephen, okay? In Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it says, On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. And then in verse 4, it says, So those who were scattered went on their way, preaching the message of good news. See, it wasn't the apostles that did the evangelizing. Matter of fact, this says everybody went out except the apostles. And then if you go on over to chapter 11, as they continue to scatter, in verse 19, it says, of Acts 11, chapter 11, verse 19, it says, Those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, speaking the message to no one except Jews. Okay, well, that's good as far as it goes. But look at what the next verse says. But there were some of them, Cypriot and Cyrenian men, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Hellenists. That's the Greeks, the Gentiles, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. So, beloved, I cannot go any farther with this until we acknowledge the fact that every one of us has been challenged to share the gospel with those that God brings into our lives and then let him do the work of converting. So who? All of us. Third question, why? Why should we evangelize? Well, some of you may say, well, does it really matter why? If it's a good thing to share the gospel, what, matter, what difference does it make what the motive is? Or to word it another way, is there really a problem with having a wrong motive? Well, the answer is yes, there is a problem with having a wrong motive. If we're only sharing the gospel with people so that we can look good, so we can look righteous, so we can look holy, so we can be a better witness than Bill over on pew 12 or in chair 22 over there, then guess what? We're doing it for the wrong motives, and what will happen is we'll start cutting corners in order to get more notches in our belt than the guy next to us, and that is not going to be true biblical evangelism. So then the question comes, well, what, are the, what is the right motive? What is the right reason? Why should we share the gospel with lost people? Well, I think really there are three motives that we find in the Bible. The first one is a desire to be obedient. Now, don't forget, those verses in Matthew we just read were not a suggestion. They were not if we feel like it. It was a command of Jesus to us about what he wants us to do. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul understands that because he says very clearly, for if I preach the gospel, and we can say the same thing about witnessing or sharing the gospel, I have no reason to boast because an obligation is placed on me. And woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward, but if unwillingly, I'm entrusted with a stewardship. Now the way I understand that, Paul is saying, listen, on those days when I'm excited to share, I get the wonderful reward of knowing that I'm being obedient. But there's also days when I'm really unwilling to, but I do it anyway because I have a stewardship. I've been given a responsibility. So first of all, we do it to be obedient. Second of all, we do it because we love lost people. We see how God has changed our lives. We see what Jesus Christ has done for us, and we want to see other people come to know him too. And we love them. And we see how they struggle in their sin. That all starts from Jesus' heart himself. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them. They were weary and worn out like sheep without a shepherd. In other words, they were lost, and Jesus' heart went out to them. And so if Jesus lives in us, guess what? Our hearts go out to them too. 
And Paul in Romans chapter 10, talking about his Jewish friends, he says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God concerning them is for their salvation. And so we love people. We want them to come to know Jesus. But over and above a desire to be obedient, over and above a love for the lost, our primary reason for sharing the gospel is our love for God. We love him so much for what he has done for us through Christ. We love him so deeply and so powerfully that in order to expand his kingdom, we want to go and tell other people what Jesus Christ has done for us. If they choose not to accept it, that's their business. <laughs> but we can't help it but tell other people about what's going on in our lives. That's the why. Now, the last big question, how? Now, by how, I'm not going to talk about the outline of sharing the gospel. We're going to do that a lot over the next several months. But I want to talk about how exactly, what do we need to do, what attitude do we need to take as we go into sharing the gospel with people. And let me share with you relatively quickly eight things that I think are important. Number one, we must share honestly. Now, by honestly, what I mean is this. Sometimes we're tempted Again, because we think it all depends on us to not tell everybody all the truth about becoming a Christian. We make it sound all wonderful and great and fantastic, but I have a feeling most of us could testify the fact that sometimes being a Christian is tough because all of a sudden we have a mortal enemy. And I think we need to let people know up front that while if they repent, if they believe the gospel, if they believe the good news of what Jesus has done for them, they will be saved, but it won't always be easy. The second thing is I think we have to do it urgently. Now, I don't mean by that that we have to get them to make a decision right there before we, we walk away from them or before we leave. But we need to help them understand that there's nothing to be gained by waiting for some better offer to come along. That is not going to happen. There is no better offer. And so we need to help them see that we don't have the promise of tomorrow. And beloved, let me say this to you. You should never be worried about honestly reminding people that our lives are a vapor. There's nothing wrong with being honest. Doctors do it all the time. When you're 70 pounds overweight and have a blood pressure of 150 over 100, the doctor will look you in the eye and say, if you don't do something, you're going to die. So there is nothing wrong with us explaining to them that there's an urgency in making their decision. They don't have to make it while you're standing there or sitting there with them, but they need to decide. Thirdly, we should do it joyfully. Okay, now I, I know we've got to be honest. We've got to be urgent, but we also have to help them understand that there is a tremendous joy and peace that comes from surrendering our lives to Jesus Christ and letting him have a relationship with us and us with him and through him with our Father. It is worth it. Yes, it's worth the difficulty. Yes, it's worth all the things that we go through because we know that we have eternal life. And we should share that because of the joy that we have. Fourthly, we should share biblically. Now, understand, this does not mean that you have to memorize 18 Bible verses and be able to quote them by heart, but we do need to help people understand this is not just my opinion. This is not just what I feel. This is God's opinion and in God's Word. Now, I know you're going to say, now, Steve, there are some people that don't believe the Bible is true. They don't think the Bible is reliable. Why would I use something that they don't trust? You know what? That's okay. The Holy Spirit will take care of that. I really believe that with all my heart. But I think that we need to help them understand that this is something that we have learned and then we have experienced in our own lives, and we want them to understand it as well. And I think it is critically important. Otherwise, it's all subjective. But if you can tell them, God's Word says that God loved you so much, He sent His Son to die on the cross for you. 
And in a few weeks, I'm going to be sharing with you a very simple way that you can tell the story of salvation that only uses four verses from the Bible. And that way you can share the good news with someone. Number five, we need to tell the gospel and share the gospel and evangelize consistently. And by consistently, what I mean with that is it's got to be consistent with our lives. Nothing is worse than a person who doesn't live like a Christian trying to convince someone else that they ought to be a Christian. Now, I understand the minute I say that, some of you might be tempted to go, well, but I guess I just can't share the gospel because, boy, I am not a good Christian. Listen, if you know that you're not a good Christian and you need to be working harder at it, that's a good thing, okay? But understand that they're watching your life, and usually they'll come and say, so what is it about you that's different from the other people I know? How is your life different? from others. And so you need to make sure that you're living your life in such a way that they can see Christ in you. So then when you share with them, it's consistent with how you live. Number six, you should do it prayerfully. Please understand that this is spiritual work. We're not salesmen. We're not trying to sell a product. We're not trying to get new people to vote for our favorite candidate. This is something that is spiritual work, and we have a spiritual enemy. If Bill is not a believer, Satan is going to do everything he can to make sure that Bill stays an unbeliever. So the battle is between Satan and God. All you're doing is holding the door for the Holy Spirit so that he can work in Bill's life. But you need to bathe that in prayer. You see, we do need to share the gospel as clearly and as best as we can. But we then have to remember that once we've done that, even if we mess up, God can take that and use it for his glory. But we need to bathe it in prayer. And then eighth. Oh, excuse me, seventhly, it needs to be relationally. Now, I need to stop on this one, although I'm, I'm running short on time, but let me just stop and say something about the relationship issue. I believe that a person's eternal relationship with Jesus Christ is the most intimate part of their life. That's why I have always, although I have done it, and there are times when God will bring someone, a, just a stranger across your path, and he says, I want you to share the gospel with this person, and you've got to do it. But most of the time, I would not want to talk to someone about their eternal life if I can't even talk to them about their health or about their marriage or about uh, their, their relationships at work. In other words, we don't just build relationships so we can share the gospel and then move on. We begin with people that we already love, that we already know, people that will come to you and say, man, oh man, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I'm afraid I'm going to lose my job. I just did this. And, and, and so we have a trust level there. Now, please understand, let me say one more time, there are times when God may bring someone across your path that you don't have that kind of relationship with, but for some reason or another, he just really opens the door for you to share the good news of the gospel. But most of the time, it comes out of a relationship that you already have with the person and that you're going to have whether they accept Jesus Christ or not. That person is with you in the Zumba class, or that person that's with you uh, at work, or that person that's with you in that club, or that's a parent on the ball team. They're friends. You've carpooled together. You know them. They're going to be your friends whether they accept Jesus or not. And if they really trust you and care about you, they are not going to break that friendship just because you share what's the most important thing in your life with them. I can almost promise you that. If they break that relationship over the fact that you shared the gospel with you with them, then it wasn't much of a relationship to begin with. So make sure it's relational as much as you can. And lastly, we also do it cooperatively. And by cooperatively, what I mean is we are not only sharing with people that we can come into contact with, but also through missions, through other things that we're doing, through church planting and helping other people share the gospel, we are continuing to do the work of evangelists as we enable others to be able to go where we can't go 
This morning we prayed for New York City. Most of us will never get a chance to share the gospel in New York City. But we prayed for a young couple who are starting a church in Long Island because they can go and we can help them by cooperating. Let me finish by sharing just a couple things with you. First of all, let's go back to the most important thing that you need to hear from today. And that is that a person's salvation is not your responsibility. Our responsibility is to faithfully share the good news with everyone that we can. What happens from that point forward? That's the Holy Spirit's business. We have got to get away from a wrong, shallow view that salvation and evangelism is just getting someone to repeat the prayer or sign the card or walk down the aisle. We need to stop this thing of worldly people thinking they have salvation because they've done those very things, and yet they have never truly surrendered their lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and repented of their sins. We need to stop having church membership roles that are four times larger than the people who are actually committed to worshiping and serving Christ. We need to stop our inaction because we're so afraid that we're going to mess up, that someone is not going to go to heaven because we failed to share the gospel effectively. You see, beloved, the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ, that because of our sin we've been separated from him. Jesus Christ came to pay the penalty for that sin so that by accepting his payment, we can have an eternal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You see, if we don't understand that it's sharing what's happened in our lives and how they can have that happen too, then it ends up being some kind of an unpleasant duty or an occasional impulse. But the message of the cross is what fills our heart with love and joy and peace and excitement. Knowing what Christ has done for us and knowing that he also did it for my best friend. He also did it for my work partner. He also did it for that person in the carpool. He also did that for my parent or my child or my sibling or my relative. You remember Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 34, he said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the real question is not, do you have the right outline? Do you know the right lead-in question. The real question is, what is your heart full of? Because if your heart is full of the joy of your salvation, your tongue, stammering, stuttering, messing up, will follow. So what do you spend your words on? So as we pray together, I want you to keep those two questions in mind. What is your heart full of? And what do you spend your words on? Let's pray together. Father, I really believe that the number one reason why we don't share the gospel more is not because we have a misunderstanding of the gospel and what evangelism is. I don't even think it's because of fear. I think the number one reason is because we are not filled with joy over our own salvation. Those believers in Acts 8 and Acts 11 were so overjoyed with what you had done in their lives that they could not not tell people. And I pray that today our first prayer will be, Lord, fill me with joy. Fill me with the joy of your salvation. Fill my heart with gratitude. 
and then bring across my path friends, people with whom I have a relationship, so that I then can find the right way to express that joy to them. Not in some canned presentation, but just in sharing life on life. And help me to spend my words on things that really matter. We can always talk about the weather or Cardinals baseball or who in the world is going to be sitting in the White House next January. What we really need to be talking about is the confidence we have for eternity because of the one who gave his life for us. So to that end, we pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.